Hey, faithful listener, grab your cup of coffee and experience the Bible in a way you never have before. P40 Ministries is a podcast that goes through the Bible cover to cover. It's an awesome narrative that focuses your mind and prepares your heart for God to speak. So join your host, Jen, for a biblical podcast that's hilarious, informative, imaginative, and fun. The P40 Ministries podcast. Listen now as we go through the book of Leviticus. Hello and good morning, friends and faithful listeners. This is the P40 Ministries podcast, and my name is Jen. I am the host of the P40 Ministries podcast, and I am here today to talk with you guys about Leviticus chapter 5. So thank you so much for tuning in and for uh, sharing a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with me. I'm actually drinking tea this morning, which is so rare for me. I don't care for tea. (laughs) For those of you who are new on the podcast, I don't like tea. I tell people that I tease tea drinkers, but I've been having really bad headaches recently, so I'm trying to switch over to tea and see if the uh, caffeine content, which is much lesser in tea, helps my headaches a little bit. But anyway, thanks for sharing a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with me this morning as we discuss the Bible. So today we are going to be talking about Leviticus chapter 5 verses 1 through 13. And this is talking about uh, the sins requiring a sin offering. So let's see what God has to say here about sins that require a sin offering. So turn with me in your Bibles and let's go ahead and read. As I usually don't, I'm going to be reading out of the NLT version this morning. Uh, I typically read out of the WEB version, but today I want to read out of the NLT because the WEB kind of worded this funny I was having a hard time understanding it the way it was worded, so I'm switching over to the New Living Translation today. So once again, this is Leviticus chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. If you are called to testify about something you have seen or that you know about, it is sinful to refuse to testify, and you will be punished for your sin. Or suppose you unknowingly touch something that is ceremonially unclean, such as the carcass of an unclean animal. When you realize what you have done, you must admit your defilement and your guilt. This is true whether it is a wild animal, a domestic animal, or an animal that scurries along the ground. Or suppose you unknowingly touch something that makes a person unclean. When you realize what you have done, you must admit your guilt. Or suppose you make a foolish vow of any kind, whether its purpose is for good or for bad. When you realize its foolishness, you must admit your guilt. When you become aware of your guilt in any of these ways, you must confess your sin. Then you must bring to the Lord as a penalty for your sin a female from the flock, either a sheep or a goat. This is a sin offering with which the priest will purify you from your sin, making you right with the Lord. But if you cannot afford to bring a sheep, you may bring to the Lord two turtle doves or two young pigeons as the penalty for your sin. One of the birds will be for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. You must bring them to the priest who will present the first bird as the sin offering. He will wring its neck, but without severing the head from the body. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering against the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood will be drained out at the base of the altar. This is an offering for sin. The priest will then prepare the second bird as a burnt offering, following all the procedures that have been prescribed. Through this process, the priest will purify you from your sin, making you right with the Lord, and you will be forgiven. If you cannot afford to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, you may bring two quarts of choice of flour for your sin offering. Since it is an offering for your sin, 
You must not moisten it with oil or put any frankincense on it. Take the flour to the priest, who will scoop out a handful as a representative portion. He will burn it on the altar on top of the special gifts presented to the Lord. It is an offering for sin. Through this process, the priest will purify those who are guilty of any of these sins, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. The rest of the flour will belong to the priest, just as with the grain offering. So what God is talking about here is basically the procedure for the sin offering. And the sin offering was different than the other offerings we've talked about. The sin offering was specifically for people who literally commit a sin. And this offering was mandatory. The other three offerings we talked about before were not mandatory. Those were like offerings you could bring to show your love and devotion to God. So the sin offering, though, is different in the fact that it's mandatory. So the first few verses here talk about the sins that people might not actually believe are sins is kind of what I think of these as. For example, um, when it says here the vows, God says that making a vow of any kind, if it's a foolish vow, is wrong. <laughs> and uh, when you realize that you make a vow, then uh, you need to bring the sin offering is what God was saying. So yeah, I mean, all of these sins that God mentions here, I truly do believe are ones that people just don't think of as sins. Like, okay, this first one here, if you are called to testify about something you have seen or that you know about, it is sinful to refuse to testify and you will be punished for your sin. So God had already put into place, basically like the court system into place. Like he, I mean, Israel was way, way beyond its time. Like God put in place a judicial court and uh, leadership in that way. So God was very big about justice being sought out, if that makes sense. He was really big about, he, he wanted justice for all of his people. He required every single person in Israel to want justice the same way that he did. Verse one, if a person sees something, like say he sees his friend do something wrong, if that person does not testify in court and refuses to answer the questions or lies about the questions, then that person is guilty of a sin because that person is helping the person who committed the crime. He is not being accurate and not allowing justice to happen. So God says that this is a sin. It doesn't even matter who. It could be you saw your kid do something. You saw your friend, best friend do something. You saw your husband do something. It doesn't matter who it is. If that person does not come and uh testify correctly in court, that person is committing a sin because they are helping the person who committed the crime. And you know what? I'm actually a person that really enjoys true crime. I love watching true crime documentaries and uh, to my own detriment a little bit. And one of the things that people almost applaud, I've noticed nowadays, is the fact that a criminal will go to court and or to the police and he won't testify properly because he does not want to get anybody else in trouble. And this is almost like looked at as, at least here in America, I don't know about other countries, but this is looked at as like admirable, almost. Like, oh, this man is protecting his friends. But no, I mean, God specifically says right here that this is a sin. It's wrong. And this man is helping criminals continue to be criminals. <laughs> So the second one here, uh, God says, suppose you unknowingly touch something that is ceremonially unclean. 
such as the carcass of an unclean animal. And when you realize what you have done, you must admit your defilement and your guilt. Now, I might be wrong about this because we haven't really gone into ceremonial uncleanliness yet. So I'm not super well versed on ceremonial uncleanliness, I guess. But from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it. you, you could technically touch a dead animal and that would not be considered a sin. Like, for example, if your animal died, you could touch the body to bury it. But I believe where the sin comes in was when you did not like wash yourself after touching that animal. And obviously there are health reasons why God would put that kind of a law into place. Because if you're going around touching dead animals and dead bodies and everything, then yeah, there's some health concerns that go into not washing your hands afterward. (laughs) And, (laughs) And God says, that it's true for any animal, whether it's your own domesticated animal, whether it's a wild animal that maybe uh, somebody catches to eat, or if it's an animal that scurries along the ground. So I always think of those kinds of animals as like squirrels. We have a squirrel outside that uh, lives in one of the trees out here, and he's just he, he just looks like he scurries around. <laughs> And then moving forward, basically the same thing about uh, something that makes a person unclean. And I believe that this could be anything that God lays out later on that can make a person ceremonially unclean. And if they don't wash themselves afterward and go through the um, unclean process of everything, then they are considered unclean. So from my understanding, not necessarily a sin to touch something ceremonially unclean, but a sin to not wash yourself afterward. So right here in Leviticus 5, God is saying that if a person unknowingly does it, when they find out they do it, that is when they are considered unclean. But because they didn't go through the process of cleansing themselves, they are considered guilty of not following that law properly. And so then they do have to bring a a sin offering at that point. So then the last type of sin that God mentions here is the foolish vows. And this is my favorite one of the bunch because how often do we make vows that we just don't keep or promises that we don't keep? I think a big one for me is like when somebody comes to me and says, can you please pray for me for such and such? I'll be like, yeah, no issue. I'll definitely pray for you. And then I forget. I think that's a broken vow and something that God takes very seriously. So, um, I've been trying to get more into the habit of like writing down prayer requests from people so that I don't just forget and not ever pray for that person. In fact, I have a new planner here that has like notes in the back of each month and I have all my prayer requests listed right here. But, you know, I mean, we we make vows all the time or promises all the time that we tend to not keep. And God says that that is wrong. And I've been reading through first and second Samuel recently, and I was just kind of shocked by the amount of vows that people would just like say. The big one I noticed in first and second Samuel that everybody was saying was, may God strike me or even kill me if I don't do such and such. That's a vow. That is a very, very strong vow. And it's like, man, you're putting God's name into that. And many times that vow was not seen to completion. 
And David said it a lot. David said it like, I want to say four or five times. I saw that he said it. And I'm like, man, that is kind of scary. Like when you put that kind of vow on yourself. And like I said, uh, four out of five times, like that vow was not even properly done or completed. And, you know, back then, they didn't think that it was a sin to just say that, which is kind of funny because it's kind of laid out in the law here. But we see that the vow making got so bad that by the time that Jesus came, people were making vows on the temple. They were making vows on the treasury box. They were making vows on God and just all sorts of crazy stuff. And the priests were putting this kind of vow making in place so that if somebody swears on the altar or something, they don't have to keep that vow. You know, if they if they make a vow and they swear on the altar, that means, oh, well, you don't have to keep that vow. Like that is how crazy it got with the vow making that Jesus was like, don't make any vows. <laughs> Like, just stop with the vow making already. And yeah, I mean, there are times in the Old Testament law where vow making was okay. And I think there are times even nowadays where, yeah, you can make a vow as long as you keep it. It's it's fine. But because of our human nature and the fact that we have a tendency to not uphold vows very well, Jesus just says, it's just better not to make a vow. <laughs> And then I think there's a verse that says, like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that is from the evil one is literally what Jesus says. I think that was in I think that was in Matthew chapter six. But, you know, this is important to God. The fact that he mentions vows right here in Leviticus five and then Jesus mentions them later on as if you're going to make a vow, if you're going to make a promise, you better keep it. I mean, it makes sense to me because when somebody promises me something, I expect them to keep that promise. I want them to keep that promise. And in fact, I get angry if they don't keep that promise. <laughs> so yeah, I believe that God takes vow making very seriously. And so we we need to be careful what we say and what we promise to other people and what we promise to God for sure. So then in verses 5 through 13 here, it talks about the different offerings a person could bring if they were guilty of any of those particular sins. So when they find out that they touched an unclean animal and didn't go through the ceremonial cleansing, they can bring their sacrifice to God and they will be forgiven. Or if they don't testify in court, or if they make a stupid vow and they have to uh, apologize for that, they can bring their animals. Now it says here that if they are guilty of any of these things, first, they must confess their sins. That's a big one. You know, that's, that's the biggest part of all of this, I think, is the heart aspect of it. It wasn't necessarily the sin offering that the person had to bring, but it was the confession of that sin. You know, when you confess your sin, you are admitting wrongdoing to God and to other people. You know, there's a verse in James that says that you need to confess your sins to other people as well. So if you in some way hurt somebody, you need to confess that sin to them. You know, it, it's outlined several times in the Bible that if you confess your sin to God, he will forgive you. So confession is a big part. And we don't often do that in the church anymore. In fact, I don't think that it's really talked about as much as it should be in the church. 
I mean, yes, I know that God is love and he forgives us of our sins. And I think that's kind of more where the church ends up going with it. But even in the New Testament, it talks about confession of sins and how that's a very important part in accepting Jesus and accepting the free gift that um, Jesus gives us. We have to confess the fact that we are not perfect, that we have done stupid things in the past, and we are going to continue to do stupid things, but confession of those sins shows where the heart is. So confession is a huge thing, I think, that kind of gets overlooked sometimes, maybe not all the time, but in a lot of churches, it often gets overlooked as something that is necessary for the person to um, accept that free gift of salvation, I suppose. And even beyond, you know, if if we're always just sinning and never confessing those sins, even after we're saved, I mean, how is that going to look to a person that is not a Christian and watches our lifestyle? Like, yeah, we're saved through grace. But even Paul himself says, just because grace abounds, just because grace is plentiful, it does not mean we should continue to sin. <laughs> and sorry, I'm throwing out a lot of different verses today, but I... um. I kind of want to get the point across, though, that confession is necessary. It's necessary for me. It's necessary for everybody because we always do something stupid. I always do. I always do really stupid things. Like, for example, a couple days ago when I was recording one of the podcast episodes, I did it as quickly as I could. I didn't research that much. I just just did it because I wanted to get it over with. And that was wrong of me. And I realized that kind of too late. And I was like, man... You know, this is something I'm doing for God. So I shouldn't be like just doing it to get it over with real fast. And that's the end of it. You know, and and so it's just stuff like that where I'm just like, man, I have to check myself a little bit more often than I do. But anyway, confession is a big part of Christianity and with our relationship with God. Because as we continue to confess our sins... We're going to grow closer to God as well. But here it says that first the people have to confess their sin. Then they have to bring to the Lord as a penalty for the sin, a female from the flock, either a sheep or a goat. Now, this was for more of the um, the richer people that probably had those animals. But God says that if a person isn't rich, they could bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And one turtle dove or pigeon would be used as the... Um, the sin offering, and then another one would be used as a burnt offering. So that's kind of significant where if a person was poorer, they could bring two turtle doves and one would be fully sacrificed to God, you know, as that burnt offering that we talked about several days ago. And then the other one would be the sin offering. And then through those two offerings that the person brought, they could be cleansed of their sin. And then in verse 11, it says that for the poorest of the poor people, if they can't bring an animal, they could bring a bunch of flour. It says that it could bring two quarts of choice flour. That's, of course, the uh, NLT translating it to what we understand nowadays. But in Hebrew, it was a tenth of an ephah. So approximately 2.2 liters of flour. I find this super interesting because... A person who is super poor 
could still come and be forgiven of their sins. You know, God cared about every single person. And he knew that there was going to be poor people out there that couldn't bring that blood sacrifice. So he put measures in place that a person could bring a non-blood sacrifice, I suppose, as payment for their sins. And of course, there was always going to be a sacrifice that the entire congregation of Israel would have to do every single year, where God says that the entire nation would then be cleansed of their sins. And that would include that poorest person as well. But the fact that these poor people could bring something so simple to God to say that they were sorry for their sins is truly just something super loving. But of course, it would have been a sin for the person who had a goat to bring an ephah of flour <laughs> instead. You know, that was that's also kind of pointed out that God wants the best of what we have to give to him. He wants our best. So if that person was going to bring flour instead of a goat, somebody that could easily afford a goat, that would show also that they had not truly been repentant of their sins, I suppose, and had not truly confessed of their sin. But friends, this was Leviticus chapter 5, verses 1 through 13 today. And you know, friends, uh, join me on Monday, 6 a.m., or whenever you wake up to discuss the rest of Leviticus chapter 5 with me. And also, uh, you know, go to the website, www.p40ministries.com. I uh, have some new products up, and my lovely red-headed uh, friend modeled them for me. So I got some really nice pictures of that, and she's showing all the new, brand new merch that's up on the store. And I also made a, a new order for some new t-shirts as well. So I'm excited to get those in, and I'll let you guys know when those are ready. But friends and faithful listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Happy listening, and God bless. God bless.